Good morning. It is wonderful to see you all and to be in worship together. If you're joining us online, uh, we welcome you as well. I want to invite you to find the attendance registration folder on the row where you're sitting and be sure and fill that out and pass it, uh, pass it down to others. And uh, as others come in, uh, then make sure they have an opportunity to sign that as well. It's so good to see you all. Uh, there are printed bulletins and also a QR code if you want to, uh, that's on the uh, back of the pew in front of you if you want to uh, find the bulletin in that way. If you're joining us online, uh, you can find a link to the bulletin uh, there as well. And um, again, welcome uh, to you. Uh, this is a special Sunday in that we have more uh, confirmands who are being confirmed um, that were not able to be at our confirmation service a few weeks ago. And so 10 more are being confirmed today, and what a blessing it is uh, to be a part of that confirmation service. Now let's prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Good morning. I'm Linda McDermott. I'm going to lead us in our call to worship, if you'll please stand for that. The responses will be on the screen, and after our call to worship, I would invite you to remain standing for our opening hymn, number 715, Rejoice, the Lord is King. Let us be called to worship now with these words. Our God is the Lord of life and death. We are created in God's image. In Christ, we inherit eternal life. 
Our God has prepared our path in the light of God's presence. Amen. be seated. Baptism is a sacred time in the life of an individual, of a family, and in the life of this congregation. This morning we would like to invite the Williams forward for baptism.
baptism is a sign of God's mercy and love, reminding us that we do not come into this relationship with God on the basis of anything that we do, but rather on the basis of God's acceptance and gracious invitation of love to us. In addition to adults, children have always had an important place among the people of God. Remember the words of Jesus when he said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such as these belong the kingdom of God. And I ask you now as you stand uh, before God and this congregation, do you affirm your faith in Christ? And do you promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, all nations, and all races? And will you nurture Poppy Kendall in Christ's holy church, that by your teaching and example she may be guided to accept God's grace for herself, to profess her faith openly, and to lead a Christian life? Okay. All right, Ross, if you will kneel. Ross Cameron, I baptize you in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ross Cameron, the Holy Spirit work within you, that being born of water and the Spirit, you will remain a faithful disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, oh, there we go. <laughs> we knew that was heaven. It's good luck. It is. <laughs> Poppy Kendall, I baptize you in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now if you'll place your hands on her as well. Poppy Kendall, the Holy Spirit work within you, that being born of water and the Spirit, you will remain a faithful disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I wish you could have seen that smile. <laughs> What a blessing it is to participate in this holy sacrament. We do that by pledging ourselves along with her parents that we will do all that we can uh, to live the life to which Christ calls us uh, and to uh, help her uh, grow in the knowledge and love of God and Jesus Christ. And this is all God's wonderful gift to us, offered to us without price. Would you please join me in our congregational response? With God's help, we will so order our lives after the example of Christ that Poppy Kindle, surrounded by steadfast love, may be established in the faith and confirmed and strengthened in the way that leads to life eternal. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Friends here in the sanctuary, friends who are joining us online. My name is Mr. Mark, Mark Burroughs. I get to be the children's minister here at First United Methodist Church, and I get to explore the idea that the playful and the prayerful are not opposites. So with that in mind, would you like to play a game? Good. All right, fine. I wasn't prepared if the answer was no, so thank you for saying yes. 
So we're going to play a, a really interesting game. So you may have heard the expression, if something is too good to be true, it probably is, because so many, so many times things just don't live up. And we have that saying, and it can kind of make me feel a little bit cynical and jaded, but sometimes we say it because we just don't want to get burned, right? We don't want to get taken advantage of. Um, but every once in a while, we'll, we'll assume something is too good to be true, or we'll start a rumor, or there'll be an urban legend about something, and in reality, the thing is really that good. So we're going to play a game where I'm going to read something, I'm going to give you a clue, and you have to guess what that really good thing is. You ready? <clears throat> okay. Here we go. Everybody say number one. number one. Okay. Don't throw uncooked rice. Pigeons will eat it and explode. Where does that come from? From, from where? From weddings. That's right. From weddings. You know that, that thing that used to go around? Oh, don't throw uncooked rice because the birds will eat it and explode. That's completely untrue. It's been tested by scientists. I mean, think about the scientists who did that, right? It's like, okay, you got the pigeons? Yeah, I got the rice. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Nothing. Not, weddings are really that good. And I wouldn't throw rice because I would like to eat the rice and not have it there, but totally untrue. Weddings and ceremonies and celebrating loved ones really is that good. We don't need to keep you know, throwing shade on it. All right, here we go. Ah, Everybody say number two. The candy might be poisoned. The apples might have needles in them. What's that from? Halloween. Halloween. There is no evidence that that ever happened. Hospitals opened up their x-rays and x-rayed candy and apples for years. None of that was ever found. Yes, people just open up their doors and give kids free candy. Halloween really is just that good. <laughs> Number three don't get it. It's how they put a microchip in you so they can track your every move. You know what that one is. It's not political, it's topical, right? By the way, they've already got us, right? They don't, they don't need a microchip. Ooh, here we go. Everybody say number four. Number four. He wore sweaters to cover up all his tattoos. Mr. Rogers. That's right. Now, I personally have nothing against tattoos, but back in the 70s, more people did. But yeah, that one's about Mr. Rogers. Here we go. Here's another one. He apparently had no tattoos. He was a sniper during Vietnam. Also, Mr. Rogers. <laughs> and the point I wanted to make there is, Yes, he really was that good. There are articles and pages of all these urban legends, and those were some of the nicer ones. Could someone really be that good? Now, there's a couple of true stories that I really do want to share. Um, what's the expression, a lie makes it halfway around the world before the truth puts its pants on? So here's the pants, all right? Mr. Rogers was an avid swimmer. He liked to go swimming every morning. He lived in Pittsburgh, and he would go and swim very early every day. One of the reasons is so he could maintain his weight of 143 pounds, one, four, three. That number was very important to him. Do you know why? Because that's the number of letters in I love you, one, four, three. The last 30 years of his life, he maintained that weight. But there's another story. So apparently one day he had parked his car early, went in, came back out, his car had been stolen. 
It's a true story. So they notified the police. The car was brought back, and there was an apology note left by the thieves. We are so sorry. If we had known this was your car, we wouldn't have taken it. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? So few people know that story, but they know all about him being a sniper and having tattoos. But he was really that good a person. And it makes me wonder, sometimes people can be so good or circumstances can be so good that we just can't imagine their truth. So we protect ourselves from that goodness by creating this, un this kind of underbelly story. But I wonder if this is something we just invented in the 20th century. Well, well, here we go. One more. If I say number six. And this was in two parts. Look, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Oh, and there's more. Are we not right to say that you are a Samaritan and a demon? Who are those about? Jesus. These are things people actually said about or directly to Jesus. As it turns out, Jesus really was that good. I, I, I struggle with it sometimes myself. Kind of, I, I sometimes go between being a naive and a cynic. And that's not a balanced life. So I think it's living in, a, in, a, in discernment and really embracing those things that really are that good and celebrating them. Like First United Methodist Church, this community really is that good. Confirmation Sunday really is that good. And Jesus' love really is that good. If I have any friends who are joining me upstairs for second hour, if you will meet me at that door. Thanks, Mr. Mark. I appreciate it. Uh, well, like Mark mentioned, uh, today is Confirmation Sunday, part two. I'm really excited to get to confirm our, the second batch of uh, sixth graders today. Confirmation, um, if you are unaware, is a rite of passage in our church and in many other United Methodist churches and other denominations as well, in which young people confirm the baptismal vows set over them. Um, this was mentioned in the liturgy before. Um, there's uh, there's a way that we sometimes we're talking about baptism when we're walking sweet, beautiful babies up in front of our community, and we say that we lead these children and teach these children in such a way that at some point they may come to this or some other altar and claim their faith for their own. And today is the day that 10 kids in our community are coming to this altar to claim this faith as their own. Um, and it's an incredibly special day. This is the last set of uh, confirmations for um, our retiring beloved senior pastor, uh, Dr. Tim Brewster, and it includes um, some children that he's known for a really long time. And so we're excited about getting to do this together. That being said, I'm going to invite Dr. Brewster to come up and uh, lead our confirmation vows, and our confirmants can come on up.
Members of the confirmation class, I'm about to ask you the vows of confirmation. Understand that you've studied these in class and we are proud of you for studying and preparing to respond to these questions. So on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? If you do, please say, I do. I didn't hear that. <laughs> if you do, please say, I do. Thank you. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression? If you do, please say, I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord? If you do, please say, I do. Will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world? If you will, please say, I will. Will you promise to be loyal to Christ through the United Methodist Church and do all in your power to strengthen its ministries? If you will, please say, I will. As members of this congregation, will you faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? If you will, please say, I will. Do you receive and profess the Christian faith as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments? If you do, please say, I do. who are being confirmed, if you would please kneel at the altar rail. Layla Eileen, please touch the waters of the baptismal font. Remember your baptism and be thankful. Layla Eileen, the Holy Spirit work within you, that being born through water and the Spirit, you may grow as a faithful disciple of your Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Sophie Elizabeth, would you touch the waters of the baptismal font? Sophie Elizabeth, Remember your baptism and be thankful. And may the Holy Spirit work within you that you may grow as a faithful disciple of your Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Lane Michael Daly, touch the waters of the baptismal font. Remember your baptism and be thankful. Lane Michael, may the Holy Spirit work within you that being born through water and the Spirit, you may grow as a faithful disciple of your Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Reagan Elizabeth Florsheim, please touch the baptismal font. Remember your baptismal and be thankful. Baptism and be thankful. Reagan Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit work within you, that being born through water and the Spirit, you may grow as a faithful disciple of your Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Avery James Castoris, touch the waters of the baptismal font. Remember your baptism and be thankful. Avery Jane. May the Holy Spirit work within you, that being born through water and the Spirit, you may grow as a faithful disciple of your Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Alice Caroline, remember your baptism and be thankful. I got it. I got it. 
This is my granddaughter, okay? <laughs> I never get through these baptisms or anything. With Alice Caroline, the Holy Spirit work within you, that being born of water and the Spirit, you will remain a faithful disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Don't worry, Olivia, I'll do it better with you. <laughs> Olivia Grace, remember your baptism and be thankful. Amen. Olivia Grace, the Holy Spirit work within you, that being born of water and the Spirit, you will remain a faithful disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Taylor Kay, remember your baptism and be thankful. Amen. Taylor Kay, the Holy Spirit work within you, that being born of water and the Spirit, you will remain a faithful disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Sophia Scott, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Place your hands. Sophia Scott, the Holy Spirit work within you, that being born of water and the Spirit, you will remain a faithful disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll stand and face the congregation, and there will be a congregational response where you guys will be invited to bless our congregants. I invite you now to respond. Brothers and sisters, I commend to your love and care these persons whom we this day receive into the membership of this congregation. Do all in your power to increase their faith, confirm their hope, and perfect them in love. Please join me in the blessing that's printed in your bulletin or is on the screen. We give thanks for all that God has already given you, and we welcome you in Christian love as members together with you in the body of Christ and in this congregation of the United Methodist Church. We renew our covenant to faithfully participate in the ministries of the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you and congratulations to the confirmation class of 2022. If you guys can stand. Yeah, please stand as we sing together.
Good morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Matt Britt. I'm the Associate Director of Youth Ministries here at the church. I'm excited to be in worship with you this morning. Our scripture reading today comes from Paul's letters to the people of Corinth, specifically 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 38 and 42 through 50. I'll be reading from the Common English Version um, and invite you to read along in either your own Bibles or the Bibles you can find in the pew. The words will also be on the screens. Hear these words. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come back? Look, fool, when you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't come back to life unless it dies. What you put in the ground doesn't have the shape that it will have, but it is a bare grain of wheat or some other seed. God gives it the sort of shape that he chooses, and he gives each of the seeds its own shape. It is the same with the resurrection of the dead. A rotting body is put into the ground, but what is raised won't ever decay. It is degraded when it's put into the ground, but it's raised in glory. It's weak when it's put into the ground, but it's raised in power. It's a physical body when it's put into the ground, but it's raised as a spiritual body. If there's a physical body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first human, Adam, became a living person, and the last Adam became a spirit that gives life. But the physical body comes first not the spiritual one. The spiritual body comes afterwards. The first human from the, was from the earth, made from dust, and the second human is from heaven. The nature of the person made of dust is shared by people who are made of dust, and the nature of the heavenly person is shared by heavenly people. We will look like the heavenly person in the same way as we have looked like the person made from dust. This is what I am saying, brothers and sisters. Flesh and blood can't inherit God's kingdom. Something that rots can't inherit something that doesn't decay. God speaks to us through the reading of Scripture. Thanks be to God. Amen. Hello, everyone. I want to add my welcome. Before we consider today's Scripture reading and today's message, I want to thank our Fifth Street Bells. I want to thank our choir for leading us in worship. I want to thank all the people who are serving throughout the church, people who are on the tech team, making sure that we're together, whether we're in person or online. I want to thank the people who are in our wonderful youth ministry. Some of their work is here before us today with the amazing work they've done for our confirmation class. I want to thank the people who are active in adult Sunday school classes and children's Sunday school classes as well. If you haven't found your place of connection and ministry here at the church after the service, there's a place called the on-ramp in the garden that would love to help you find your place in connecting and service here. My name is Lance Marshall. If we haven't met before, I'm welcome. I'm glad you're here. I'm one of the co-senior pastors here with Dr. Brewster. Dr. Brewster is retiring at the end of June, and I'll be honored to continue leadership after his retirement. And one of the ways in which I'll be serving the church is speaking during the 11 o'clock sanctuary services. So for those of you who may not have experienced me as the preacher during the 11 o'clock service, I'm glad to be here, and I love preaching in traditional worship. And I want to share with you something that happened in my life this week. And in order to understand it, you need to understand a little bit of my background. So when I was 25 years old, and then again when I was 27, I had really serious bouts with cancer. What I thought was a cough brought on by allergies was actually stage four lymphoma that had spread and was creating all kinds of problems. And I'll never forget that I actually got my diagnosis on the last day of June, 2009, because I lost my insurance on the first day of July. Lost my insurance the day after I was diagnosed. So I was a stage four uninsured cancer patient 
Uh, two weeks later, the startup company that I was working for went out of business. So I was an uninsured, unemployed stage four cancer patient. And so in that very beginning of the cancer season, I didn't have any insurance to help pay for treatment. And I eventually got some about eight weeks later through something called a high-risk pool, which is uh, something that existed at the time to help people in my situation, but I couldn't wait for something like that. So when we were going through the process of diagnosis and port installation surgery and PET scans and bone marrow biopsies and the first couple of rounds of treatment, I was uninsured and they knew that. Um, I didn't really have any money. They knew that too. They treated me still because they were saints. They also sent me a bill. Uh, they sent me a lot of bills. At one day in the mail, I had nine bills. Uh, and so they sent me all these bills. And so I called them up and I said, okay, so thank you so much for treating me. You know I don't have any money. Uh, what do you want to do? <laughs> what do you want to do? And so we talked and they set up a payment plan for me. Can you pay this much a month? Nope. Uh, can you pay this much a month? Yes. And so I did and I started making that monthly payment. And so for the last 13 years, I've just, I've made that monthly payment. And normally that's actually the last time we talked about it. I haven't talked to the business office since. They don't even send me bills every month. I just have an auto draft out of my bank account, goes every month. And just to give you an idea, the, in the amount of medical debt that I acquired in those eight weeks was about the same as the cost of my undergraduate college education. And so I've been making payments on it and haven't really heard from them since. And I really like the mail. I'm a big fan of mail. I love writing and sending letters and getting letters. And so if you ever want to make my day, just send me a letter. And uh, at our house, dad gets to get the mail. It's just a little, little treat of life. I like to get the mail. And so I get the mail. And I had a, uh, just a blank envelope and uh, opened up the envelope and uh, read the mail. And it was from the healthcare organization that had given me that treatment. And it says... Uh, it's addressed to Marshall G. Lance, and it, which it says, Dear Mr. Lance, <laughs> due to the age of your account and as a patient courtesy, we have adjusted your balance. We appreciate your due diligence in making payments. Never missed a payment, never late. Uh, it has my account number. Service began September 7, 2009. That's true. And then it has my balance, which you could buy a very nice vehicle for that. And uh, then it has this second page, which is kind of gobbledygook. It's not really easy to read, um, but there's a, it says over here, account balances. And then it says uh, there's patient and it's highlighted and there's a number and the number is 0, 0.00. That is my new balance of what I owe. Yeah, I get, clap for them. Yeah, I mean, clap for them. That happened this week. And so, uh, I did what anybody would do, standing there at the island in my kitchen table, and I went, no way. And I put it aside, and I opened up the rest of the mail, which is either vote for me or let me buy your house. That's the only mail <laughs> I'm getting right now. I don't know about you guys. So I read the rest of the mail, and then I, uh, I handed it to my, my wife, and she goes, no way, no way. And so you're just kind of like, ah, no way. So I didn't throw it away. Um, kept it where I keep my papers. And a couple days later, I called. And I said, hey, I just got this note. And it has a phone number. And I want to call and check my balance. And I started giving them the number. And they're like, oh, we can't check balance. That's an old account. We can't check those balances here. And I think they transferred me to the basement. <laughs> and uh, I was talking to this guy. And I was like, hey, this is Marshall Lance. Um, and, I, and I gave him my account number. And I said, I want to check my balance. 
And he pulls it up and he goes, oh man, zero dollars. And I said, really? And he said, really? And I said, why? And he said, I don't know. I'm in the basement. They don't tell me anything. <laughs> it's not really what he said. That was kind of the vibe of the conversation though, is that he's not really in on the meetings. He says, I don't know. Uh, but these accounts are closed out. I can't make any changes to it. I couldn't charge you if I wanted. Um, I can tell you that we're keeping them open still because so many of you are calling and checking. <laughs> he says, I don't know. But uh, they, they made some change or some systems different. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, they just forgave it. That's not how it works, right? I mean, anyone ever gotten a call from their mortgage company and just, they're like, yeah, we're good. <laughs> that ever happened? Right? Your university calls you while you're still paying off the debt you already have, saying, you got any more money? Right? They don't just, debt just doesn't go away. Debt I accrued. I mean, debt I, I took it, I needed it. I earned it, just gone. Didn't do anything, didn't ask anybody, didn't write anything, didn't, didn't earn it. It's just gone. And I, I still don't believe it. I'm still waiting for the follow-up message. Dear Marshall Lance, oops, please disregard previous email. I, I still have a hard time believing it. Someone, something like that, I just really don't believe it. I, I, those are the two feelings I'm having. One, I, just, I have a hard time believing it. It sounds too good to be true. And two, man, if this is true, I want other people to experience what this is like. I wish other people could feel what this is like. You know how they have those organizations now, have you heard, where you can actually buy other people's delinquent medical debt and for pennies on the dollar and wipe it out? Man, I'm interested in that in a new way, right? I want that to be a transition into our reflection on our sermon series we've been in. For a number of weeks now, we've been in a sermon series called Taking Love Seriously. And the sermon series has all been about taking seriously the idea that love is the real solution to the real problems that we're actually facing in our churches, in our families, in our marriages, in our places of business, in our communities. Maybe love really is the real solution. And when we're talking about love, I don't just mean an emotion. Love is not just a feeling, particularly Christian love. It's a posture. It's a way of understanding yourself. It's a way of being in relationship with other people. And this, is, this isn't the world's greatest definition of love, but to try to help you understand the difference between love as a feeling versus love as a posture, I've been lifting up the idea that love is seeing the best in people and giving your best for people. That's love. If you're looking at other people, and despite how difficult they are or how hard it is, you're still seeing the best in them because there's still good in them. Absolutely there is. And chances are all they want is what you want, which is happy and health and respect and family and community. Seeing the best in people and giving your best for people. Understanding your giftedness, understanding what it is you have to offer and giving it for other people for their benefit. Giving it away. That's love. And living in that way is actually the solution to the problems that we're facing. Relationships, family issues, church issues, community issues. It's real. But taking seriously the idea that love is really the answer. But here's the deal. If you go around living like that, if you go around being like that in the world, being the kind of people who sees the best in other people when everyone else's reaction is just to, to besmirch them or to name them something or to disregard them or kick them away, if you're actually going around giving your best for other people, the best that you have to offer, your best wisdom, your best resources, your best gifts, your spiritual gifts, we talked about that, and giving them for the benefit of other people's and living in that way, not just like doing it every once in a while, that's the way you actually see other people. If you go around living like that, people will start to ask you why. 
why are you like this? Why are you like this in times and in places where everyone else is the exact opposite? Why are you like this? They're going to start to ask you. They may not ask it directly, but people are going to start to ask, why? Evangelism is your answer to the question, why are you like this? How did you get like this? How do you stay like this? How do you keep it together like this in the face of that? That's all evangelism is, is your answer. And here's the thing. When you start to tell people about what Christ has done for you, what Christ's love and grace and work and presence in your life has done for you, what it's made possible in your family, how it's brought you through situations that seemed impossible to pass through, when you start testifying to what you've seen it do in the lives of other people, of how Christ is with you and for you and has changed you, when you start to explain how that same Christ is at work in the life of them and of everybody else, and that that's who Christ is and that's how this works, I want to be honest with you. You're going to get some pushback. You're going to get some pushback. And I'd love to speak to you today kind of more as a coach. More as a coach, really, than pastor or preacher. And if you're doing that, that's all evangelism is. That's all evangelism is, is sharing what Christ has done for you and how the same thing's available for you. And when you start living like this, not only are people going to start to ask, but you're going to start seeing people all around you and your family, your neighborhood, your community, your place of business. You're going to see them and say, man, they could use that too. You're going to get pushback. And as your coach, let me just tell you, they might say a whole bunch of different things. That seems irrelevant to me. Or, yeah, what about this experience I had in this other community of faith? Or what about this time that I tried fervently to pray for something that was good and worthy and it wasn't answered when I wanted it and the way I expected it and so therefore it must not be true or real or work in my life? When you receive this pushback, and that's fine and good, recognize that it's probably about something more than just what they're talking about. We talk a lot about the thing behind the thing. We're in the middle of, of a fight. We're in the middle of depression or anxiety. We're in the middle of a struggle. So often there's a next level thing about it. Yeah, this, this happened to trigger it, this conversation or this action somebody else took. But so often there's a thing behind the thing. Our sense of belonging or security or significance or respect can feel threatened and damaged. And so often this is happening in its place, but it's the thing behind the thing that's really got us so upset. When people are pushing back on the proclamation of the gospel, doubting it, questioning it, yeah, what about? The thing behind the thing so often is, that's just too good to be true. That's just too good to actually be true for me. It's a fantasy. That's too good to be true. That's ancient superstition. That something like that could be for me, at work in me, love me, care for me, support me, no matter what, especially when I don't deserve it. That's just too good to be true. That's what's at work in our scripture reading today. For, for weeks now, we've been reading this letter back and forth between Paul and the people in Corinth. Bless their hearts. They're trying their best. They're a mess. They're a mess as people. They're treating each other with disrespect. They're suing each other. Or they're acting immorally. And at root is the good news of the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, what his resurrection means for them and their lives today and their life yet to come has not yet fully taken root. They say they believe, but your behaviors are an out come from your beliefs. And if you're behaving like this, fundamentally, your beliefs are not in line with the good news of who Christ really is. And so he's addressing so many different issues with them about how they relate to each other 
and their giftedness and what it is to be the body and the church. But really, the thing behind the thing is it just hasn't sunk in yet. One of the questions that they appear to have based on the letters that have come back and forth is the question that's answered in today's message, in today's scripture reading. One of the things that's really giving them trouble is the idea of their resurrection, of their eternal life. They can understand it might have happened for Jesus. God might have done something one time. But there's no way that this promise is true for us in the way that you've said. We must realize something less than that. And Paul's getting frustrated with them. Anytime the scripture reading includes, look fool, they're frustrated. If you're ever writing an email, to whom it may concern, <laughs> look fool. <laughs> so no. Look. You're missing the whole point. They're sending him questions like, yeah, but how could the resurrection of the body happen if we all know what happens to bodies, right? How can that be resurrected? There's nothing left to resurrect. What about people who die in the sea? What about people who are incinerated? Yeah, but, yeah, but, no way. How come? How could? It's too good to be true. So he answers their question. He answers their question about how your physical body relates to the resurrection. And he says, it's like a seed. When you're looking at a seed and you put it in the ground, it's very easy if you're just looking at the seed to see it as something that rots away or decays or dies or ends. But in reality, all the seed has done is transform into what it's always been meant to be. That seed was always ready to be an oak tree. That seed was always ready to be a beautiful flower. That's its purpose. It was always that even when it was a seed. We are in this time. Eternal spiritual beings having a short time physical experience on the other side of death we don't end. Rather, the seed that is our life grows into what it's always been meant to be and exists in life eternal forever with God. That's the answer. But the real issue that they're having is that sounds too good to be true. That that could actually be true, and it is. And that's what I want to ask you to wrestle with today. What aspect of the proclamation of the gospel sounds too good to be true to you today? What part of who Jesus is and what Jesus provides sounds too good to be true? Because I bet there's some of it that does. Is it the idea that in this vast and infinite and unknowable cosmos that we actually can completely know who we are and who we're meant to be and the purposes behind our life and in fact that life does not need to come to an end at the moment of becoming deceased but rather it turns into what it's always been meant to be by the grace of the God who loves us no matter what. Does that sound too good to be true today? Does it sound too good to be true to acknowledge that yes, things are broken and yes, things are hurting, but all things will come together in him. Every tear will be dried. Every wound will be healed. Every iniquity will be overcome. Does that sound too good to be true? Does it sound too good to be true that you can actually know how to live your life every day? And the hardest and most difficult times in the faces of things that cause you incredible anxiety or difficulty, you can know the answer and you can follow the one who will never let you down, who will never fail you, who will never come up as less than what you expected. Does that sound too good to be true? Does it sound too good to be true to know that whatever it is that you have done or left undone that causes you shame or grief can be forgiven, 
can be wiped away. Does it sound too good to be true that that can happen again if you need it yet again? Does it sound too good to be true to know that no matter the pain or the difficulty or the struggle that you're facing, the obstacles in your way today, no matter the health difficulties or the financial difficulties or the relationship difficulties, no matter the struggle that you're facing, you can receive the strength to endure one more day no matter what. Does that sound too good to be true? Part of the reason it may sound to be good to be true is that it feels like you have to take my word for it. And you don't. You don't. I would never ask you to. Don't take my word for it. Y'all, I'm about to give you the corniest preacher line I've ever said from this pulpit. Okay, are you ready? You need to call him yourself and check in. Do you hear what I'm saying? You need to call yourself and check in. Don't just take my word for it. Call him yourself. Which of course means go to a place of quiet and rest. Go to a place of peacefulness and silence. Close your eyes. Still your heart. And reach out in prayer. Lord, are you really there? Lord, is this really true? Lord, are you who you say you are? And am I who you say I am? And if so, do you really want me? Do you really forgive me? Do you really trust me? Do you really desire me in your kingdom? Do you really promise me what you promised me? Is it too good to believe? Or is it true? Pray that prayer in the fullness of your heart and pray it again and again and again and see what happens. People around you, people in this room are hurting from so many things. And the actual answer is found in the truth of Christ's love. Unmerited, undeserved, a slate wiped clean. And when you've experienced it, all you want is for someone else to get to experience that exact same thing. Friends, we're taking love seriously. Because no matter who we are, or where we are, or how we're hurting, or what we're facing, that love truly is the answer for us and for everyone else, now and forever. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray, recognizing that each and every one of us has hopes and hurts, each and every one of us has desires and discomforts. Lord, we pause and open up stillness in our hearts, giving space this morning for you to speak. Lord, what do you have to say to us about who you are and whose we are? And it's together as your church, that we pray the words that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks, Lance. A few quick words of announcement before we move on to the next parts of our service. Um, first, Pastries with the Pastors is next Sunday. If this is your first time as part of this community or you're just getting plugged into this community, we invite you to come and join us for this special event for a chance to get to know some of the leadership here and get to know some about our community and the things that we offer and the ways we're inviting you into this loving Christian community to experience good news for yourself. Um, next, much more technical announcement. The Calfhound Marathon is next weekend, and we are very, very excited and proud of all the people who are running that. However, it makes getting to the church on Sunday morning complicated, so you should be getting an email this week talking about traffic patterns and the best way to get to the church on Sunday morning given the marathoners route. Um, also, um, March 2nd, so not this Wednesday, the Wednesday after, is Ash Wednesday. So the, this is a traditional service to kick off the beginning of Lent, which is our season of preparation for Easter. Um, we will be doing a traditional Ash Wednesday service with an imposition of ashes at noon and at 7 p.m. And Mr. Mark and the children's ministry will also be hosting a family service that starts at 6.15 and there's a meal before at 5.30. We encourage you to join us for this special annual service in which we um, engage in this right together. So thanks guys um, for all that. And I'm going to now invite our ushers to come forward uh, as we about, we're about to um, hear our beautiful offertory. This is a chance for us to offer up our tithes and offerings, return some of the gifts that we've been given from our great and gracious Lord. If your family gives online, we should have cards in the pew that say, I give online that you're welcome to throw in there as well. So um, I will say a quick prayer of blessing for our offertory. Dearly Father, please bless these gifts that are brought forward, that they may continue to um, build our community and advance your kingdom and remind us of your gracious provision over our lives. Amen.
Friends, before Reverend Marshall comes uh, to lead in the benediction, I just want to invite you, if you're a guest with us or new to our congregation, or you just want more information also about the ministries of our church, there is a place out in the garden called On Ramp, and you'll see it out there. Uh, and I invite you to go there. We have a gift for you if you are a guest with us, first time guest with us today. And also there's information you can learn about the ministries of our church. And also, if you would like uh, someone to pray with you following the service, then that's over here at the banner that says Congregational Care Ministry, and someone will be there uh, to pray with you at that time. Our gathering will soon be ended. Where will we go and what will we do? May grace, peace, hope, love, and joy forever accompany you. Amen.